0: Everybody, Mike here, and before we get started with this week's episode, there are a few things that I wanted to say. This episode that you are about to listen to is a little bit different from our normal content, for the discussion around the film, Spike Lee's Do the Right Thing, will have a primary dialogue about the current events that we are ever fully enveloped by. For posterity's sake, I am of course referring to the murder of George Floyd by the hands of police brutality. Now, while I do not want to get fully politicized in this episode, We are living in a historic moment, a moment that we will all look back upon and question, did we do the right thing? In this episode, I am joined by one of the most intelligent and well-spoken people I have ever met, Mike Scott of The Dana Buckler Show, and while we do not claim to be experts in the realm of racial injustice and prejudice, we want to help spark the conversation and hopefully contribute to it, whether it be in a small or great way. This episode will feature our entire candid conversation without any editing whatsoever, as well as feature no intro or outro music. Do the Right Thing is a film that is forever poetic in its nature and presentation, but is extremely relevant even 32 years after its initial release. To say that the film is a masterpiece is pure lip service, but rather this is a film that everybody needs to see. With that being said, if you are listening to this episode and have not seen or heard of the film, Please do yourself a favor and pause this episode, watch the film, and return to this conversation. In the episode show notes, I have linked a number of organizations that anyone can donate to to support the nationwide cause of Black Lives Matter, as well as any advocacy groups supporting the fight against police brutality everywhere. Thank you for giving us a listen. We hope to spark some conversation with this episode, no matter how big or small, against the plight of those who are unable to speak for themselves. So everybody... Please enjoy the episode. Hey guys, welcome to the show. I'm your host, Mike, and thank you for joining me for this episode of Amateur All Tours. You can follow us on Twitter at All Tours Pod, or you can email us with any questions, comments, or concerns at the amateur tours Podcast at gmail.com. Today, we're going to have a very interesting episode for you guys, uh, but before we get into that, I want to welcome back Mike Scott to the show. Mike, uh, we talked a little bit off air, but I just... I want to ask, how are you doing, man? I mean, we're, that's, a, that's a pretty loaded question, I think. It, we're living in some, uh, to put it just bluntly, we're living in some fucked up times, man. Like, it's just hit after hit after hit, and I think this episode is it more or less in response to that as well. And we'll get into that as we uh, progress in the episode, but I just want to ask you, like, are you okay?
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm not great, man. It's been rough, uh, but I'm, you know what? I'm still here. I'm, I'm standing. Um, I'm certainly better off than a lot of other people are right now. So I feel bad even complaining, but this is a, I think the best word to describe it would be challenging. This is a challenging time for a lot of people. And, and, you know, and I try not to talk too much about it, but for those of us that are afflicted with Things like depression. This is rough, but I'm I'm still here, man. I'm here doing this podcast with you, so I'm going to put on the happy face for at least <laughs> the next hour, hour and a half, while we talk about this stuff and uh, and and move on. But I'm hanging in there. I'm
0: glad to hear that, and I'm glad that um, you agreed to do the show with me because today we're going to be talking about do the right thing. Uh, very a very topical film to talk about, especially um, amidst of everything going on. So for what's just for context for if people listen to this in the future today is when we're recording this is June 9th of 2020 and we are in the midst of both a a global pandemic as well as a national crisis re, re, uh, revolving around race relations of the United States and i think and it's definitely catching fire internationally as well but and, and 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 i really think that as I was thinking about this and watching the protests going off across the country and starting to s- spark some uh, fire internationally I was just thinking about this film do the right thing and just how poignant that this film is e- is lasting even to this day in, in an almost almost scary manner and I was thinking that this is this is a this is I think a, a more of a free-form discussion about this film and just with current events going on right now because I think that this is a film that everyone needs to see today. Like this is definitely something that people need to see, need to understand, need to discuss because the, the messages of this film and the thesis of this film are are just super important to understand and discuss right now. I, I believe. And and I'm and that's why I thought Mike, you are one of the most articulate people I've ever met and I and I thought no one else could do this except you. So I want to again thank you for uh coming on and talking about do the right thing with me.
1: Well, and I appreciate you inviting me. Um, you know, I kind of went back and forth a little bit on this. And so I do want to just put out there to anybody with it's listening folks. We understand that we are two white dudes talking about this movie at this time. And, and quite frankly, our voices are probably the last voices that anybody needs to hear, but I feel so strongly about this movie and I feel that this is such an important, poignant, relevant movie, uh, no matter the time that if me and you, my talking about it can get even one person to watch it that hasn't watched it before, then I'm, I'm, you know, I'm willing to wade into this. Um, But understand folks, we also know that like there are far more, uh, intelligent people, far more uh, research people, and far more uh, important POCs and WOCs that have talked about this movie. We get it. But um, I think we both still have something to say about it.
0: Yeah, exactly. And and one thing I mentioned earlier, so typically like w- when we talk about movies, it, it's, it can either range from just going in like sequential order of the film, chronological order, or it could just be free form. I definitely think that the best to handle this film especially with kind of everything going on it should be more like freeform. although i do think that the end of the film we should talk about it at the more towards the tail end of the episode because i think that's probably where we have the most to say and that's like the meat and the thesis of this film but sure. i think the first 90 minutes are something that you know it's it's all set up and it's and it's it's very it's very genius set for what happens at the end of the film and i think it's you can't just isolate the end of this film. You have to have all the factors. You need all the pieces of the puzzle to really, truly appreciate the end of this film. So, but before we get into that, Mike, I want to ask you, when was the first time that you had seen this film? And what was your like initial impression? Because I'm sure it's vastly different or maybe a little bit different uh, now than it was the first time you'd seen this film
1: vastly I think is probably appropriate. Um so the first time I saw it uh for those who don't know me I grew up with parents who loved movies. And so I I first saw it we didn't see it in the theater but I first saw it when it came out on home video. So that would have been 89 90. You know this movie came out in 89. I did can't remember if it was 89 or 90 when I saw it. It was probably 90 because it was probably right before the Oscars. Um and so that would have put me at thirteen, fourteen. 14. Um, and I thought the movie was great. But what I realize now is that I didn't actually get it. Um, I mean, I think the movie just at a, at a superficial level. If you don't think about this movie for more than 20 seconds, you just take it all in. It's still an amazing movie. Um, that's how good this movie is. And then I saw it again in college and I saw it again sometime around my mid twenties. But to be honest with you, I probably haven't seen this in at least 15, if not 20 years. And so watching it now, I kind of feel like, even though this is like the fifth or sixth time I've seen the movie, I sort of feel like I was actually finally seeing it for the first time. I feel like I was actually finally seeing what, Spike Lee was trying to do and say here, um, and so certainly my love of this movie has grown with me and with the movie.
0: Yeah, and I uh, the the first time I had seen this film was was uh I was in college. I was telling you off air, and because I would always heard about this movie, and it, it was in, in, like I was getting into Spike Lee and. Uh, I was watching more of his like newer stuff and and then I was like well let's let's what about do the right thing I, I I heard it's really good I don't really know what it's about other than like race relations but you know what 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 can the movie be like how like what what do we got so I watched it I remember being completely blown away so much to the point that when I took an uh, intro to sociology class my senior year now the reason I was taking the intro class with, with a bunch of freshmen and sophomores maybe was because I needed it for nursing school, which was, you know, the, the next year. So I was like just kind of getting those last prerequisites in. And I remember we were talking about um, like uh, like some maybe crime or like deviancy with crime or maybe just race relations in general. It was a very broad topic. And we watched documentary 13th on, uh, on Netflix. And I remember thinking like that's a very well put documentary, but these freshmen and sophomores are... They're not forming their own opinions about things or just kind of regurgitating what these, what, what these movies, what these uh, professors are just telling them. And I also just want to say, I did not like this professor. I thought that she was definitely one of those, uh, one of those professors that did not want any debate back and forth. She just wanted an echo chamber of a classroom and she would try and put down people that, Uh, that had any dissenting voices and I and and that was me I was the oldest and I and I had a a voice of the class and it was almost not always on the other side but I would always kind of say well what what about this what about that and I still think she uh I didn't get an A in that class because she purposely didn't like me but uh that's a that's a debate for the other another time but anyway following 13th I went up to her and I said Hey, I think that's great, but we didn't really have much of a discussion after, and that's not your fault. I just think it's like the the age range of the class, and that it's just the maturity levels. You know, it's their their uh, first semester of college. So, what about uh, my suggestion to you? And just, I'm a big movie buff. I'm a huge proponent of the lessons and themes learned through art, and spe- specifically film. What if, for future classes, you watch "Do the Right Thing," and and it's not, and it wasn't even a case of, um, oh, I want to watch it. I want to just like you know, dick around in class. Like, no, for future lectures, you you know, it was a Tuesday Thursday class. You take two classes to watch this film, and then at the end on that Thursday, you just give out a piece of paper that at the top just says, "Did Mookie do the right thing?" Just write an essay, and then we'll have a we'll have a dis- a free form open discussion on the next class. And I suggested that to her, and she shot me down. And I don't know if that was because it was coming for me. Maybe she hadn't had she hadn't seen the film in a long time, or maybe she just didn't, you know, she didn't want to have that those conversations. I don't know. Um, but I remember ever thinking since college that this was such an important film that if there ever were to, you know, in a, if we had to put films in a time capsule, like, and we had to pick like a top five, like this would be in that time capsule for me. That I think Pete, like, this is a film that needs to be memorialized and people need to see it to have these discussions. So that's like what this film means to me and why I want to talk about it here. And I think my opinion, I mean, that's only been a few years since I had first seen it, but my opinion has definitely changed, especially with what's going on in our our current uh, political climates, uh, social climate, that this film is definitely something that everyone needs to see and talk about.
1: Yeah, I mean it's it's a, an absolutely seminal movie. I think it's, um, I think it's unquestionably Spike Lee's masterpiece. Um, I think Spike Lee has made several brilliant movies. I think he's also made some serious misfires, uh, but I think this is unquestionably his masterpiece. This is the movie where everything came together for him. And it was almost like, I don't know, almost like he was possessed with, like, the powers of prophecy. Um, And I guess that just shows how much, you know, things change the more they stay the same. But this movie is 32 years old. And it is just as relevant now. And just as, like, I watched it again with my wife. She had never seen it before. And she literally said that the only thing that doesn't feel like it could have happened yesterday is the clothing, right? Okay. The, the fashions are very 1989. But other than that, everything else about the movie, you could, you could change the fashion styles and change nothing else about the movie and it would feel like it was made right now. That's how ahead of the curve Ahead of where things were going, Spike Lee was. And he made what I think is a truly timeless movie. Um, You know, honestly, I'd love nothing more than for it to be an antiquated movie. Um, Because, you know, we'll know that we've actually accomplished something when Do the Right Thing feels hokey um but unfortunately right now it does not feel hokey it feels poignant it feels powerful and it feels unbelievably relevant and
0: real like it feels like I'm watching a documentary um yeah
1: yeah which is absolutely. the scary
0: part um and that's and, and another reason why I wanted to talk about this was that I I feel like you know people aren't talking about this movie but I feel like and i don't know if that's just it's not coming to mind if people haven't seen it but i think people know the iconography they know radio raheem they de- they know the love hate they know samuel L. jackson as the host of we love radio they they know uh mookie in his uh um, robinson or jackie robinson jersey like i think people know these images but they have just seen them whether they're memed or they just they just have seen them but they're not putting them they they have some of the pieces they're not putting them all together so I think what you said that if we have one person who watches this movie and then you know I, I know you don't like this movie but like pay for like we tell one person then they tell two people and then they tell three like hopefully we can get like an idea like that when someone just says hey this movie we need to be talking about this and so I guess we can get right on into it where I, I kind of want to focus on this the the intro of this film and where with like specifically the opening credits with you know like this fight the power and dancing and 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 this was very uh this reminded me very much of uh like Donald Glover's This is America uh where you know the express the uh expression of self through dance and or like symbolic dancing where i here it's more about you know the culture of the time Donald Glover is is i think has more of a I don't want to say general message, but it's more an eclectic style of dance. We're here. It's like very specific, like hip hop to the the Brooklyn area that the story is taking place in, but it's all about like, this is about black culture. Yeah, Mike.
1: No, no, you're fine. Go ahead.
0: Oh no, no. Yeah. that That was my point. I was just really focusing on like the dancing and like the soundtrack of just the opening credits of the, of this film.
1: Well, and so, you know, it's important to note the, that this was Rosie Perez doing the dancing. She was a dancer and choreographer. This was her first movie. Um, and, you know, and she went on to obviously much, uh, much fame, much acclaim. Anybody that was alive in the 90s, you know, Rosie Perez, she was in White Man Can't Jump. Uh, she was a, a dancer and choreographer on In Living Color. Um, but I think it's also important to note that, uh, and, and, you know, for those who don't know, who haven't listened to episodes of me before, uh, Mike and I have a pretty significant age gap. It's almost 20 years. And, uh, and this is relevant here because, uh, this opening is incredibly powerful to me because my all time favorite hip hop band is public enemy. And that is who does fight the power and public enemy was essential to my growth as I hate this word, but for lack of a better person as a woke person, because Chuck D was so on point with, the lyrics and and the things that he was bringing forward and and i feel like they were just on a different level than hip-hop than other hip-hop artists not not all of them i mean there was still boogie down productions and eric b and rakim and some really great artists at that time but public enemy i just feel like i think they're the perfect group to do the most important song in this movie um because they are do the right thing i feel like embodied as music if that makes sense that sounds kind of weird but does that does that what i'm saying make sense no yeah no that makes perfect sense for me i would probably say like
0: the the equivalent of the equivalent of that is probably nwa but that's that's maybe like what a few more years down the line from this film but no that makes perfect sense mike
1: yeah and that's exactly it is is so public enemy was Um, you know, for those who don't remember, because I feel like it's kind of gone by the wayside. And again, white person talking about this, I understand there's people that know a lot more about this than I do, but the East coast, West coast thing was a real thing. And this movie is set in New York. It's set in bed Stewie. And I apologize if I'm mispronouncing that for people that are from New York. Um, and public enemy was New York through and through, uh, NWA was Los Angeles through and through. Um, And so they were kind of, they kind of represented the coasts as far as uh, politically relevant uh, hip hop. Um, But because this takes place in New York, you know, public enemy is just, I just can't imagine a better group to have done the theme song for this movie.
0: Yeah, exactly. And, you know, and then right after we have this, this opening montage, we, we have this, very naturalistic introduction to so many characters, whether they be like the, the, I don't even say protagonists, but just like our main focus or main conduits of the story, as well as all of these side characters and just how all these pieces factor into this, this narrative. And so, uh, I have my notes, like the first, like the, I, I have the, uh, the Italian family, um, with Vito Dino and, and Sal just being introduced. And as, the pretty much the only white people outside of the cops of the of the uh, the cast here, and I really I, I'm trying to think of like how we discuss each character. I don't know if we want to focus on, you know, we focus on like the Italians, then we focus on um, like the Korean store owners, or we talk about you know the corner the corner guys. We talk about the mayor. Um, how do you think we should talk uh, go about talking about all the setup? Because there's so much setup going up to this last bit that i don't want to be like scatterbrained but uh it it might appear like that because i think each even just the the tiniest detail is is super important here
1: well and that's kind of the thing is to tie it back into like a brilliant but unbelievably white director um this is spike lee's robert altman film right like Mm -hmm. this is there's so many slices of life that he is combining together here to to set the stage i mean i think it's important to note you know and i would honestly just say folks if you haven't watched this movie yet like we're hoping to convince you to watch it but it's also going to really benefit you if you hit pause now go watch the movie and come back um but what i think is so brilliant that he does here is first of all the entire movie takes place on one day and then the entire movie takes place on one street. So we really get by, there's sort of a, a a cliche, and that's not even a cliche. It's a good rule of storytelling that the more specific you get, the more general you become. And that's really what Spike Lee's doing here. He's getting very, very specific. We are getting these very specific characters who live on this specific block on this specific day. And because he gets so dialed in on who they are, everybody can understand and relate to them so i don't know that there we're really there's really a lot of benefit of going through character by character necessarily i think maybe we just kind of talk about them a little bit as they come up and as we're talking about them Uh, the the important characters spike lee plays mookie he is as you said mike he's our protagonist he's not our hero under any definition of the word, but he is our main character that we kind of follow throughout the entire movie. Um, but other than that, it's a lot of everybody just kind of coming and going and, and crossing and passing. And I think that's what makes it so universal is the way he creates a community with all of these characters. Yeah and
0: just how real it feels it doesn't it doesn't feel like uh it doesn't feel forced it feels like that this uh this city block has been lived on and that these people are uh are three dimensional they're not just these characters that like like I'm because I'm sure uh we could pick out any character and be like oh like I've met people like this or they're not caricatures of you know uh urban life but or like uh they're not caricatures of italians or white italians and they all have or at least like our the main the characters that got more focused they're all have these nuances that you know we have to d- that we can discuss especially at the end of the film and i and i really do like how natural everything gets weaved into this plot uh, even if you went like with the Italian family, with uh, John Turturro, uh as Vito, like the eldest son, too, and that, and I don't remember the uh, the other two actors' names. I know Sal uh, and Dino.
1: No, and... so it's it's John Turturro is Pino. Oh, Pino. Is, oh, okay. His brother is Vito, and then Sal Danny Aiello plays Sal.
0: Okay, thanks for clearing that up. Because I, I thought I was hearing these names, but um, but anyway, I just I really like how. Each character has their own, uh, they get their own piece to to say like what they do. Like they have their own motivations. Uh, The oldest brother, he doesn't like working in this, in the black neighborhood. He has the more overt uh, prejudice that is, is on showcase here in the film. And then the younger brother is kind of stuck in between uh, where he, he's, he's more involved with the community. I mean, he's more active. I'd say he's, more friendly with the community, at least with uh, with Mookie, who's kind of vouching for him. And then Sal has been serving the community for 20 plus years. And I really love hearing the motivation. And I think it's really intelligent when the eldest son and the father are talking. It's like, well, why are you here? Like, we shouldn't be here. And it's like, I've been serving this community. They grew up on my food. I've, I can, I've watched them grow up like people like us. And, and that's even said throughout the whole film where it's like when um when uh, what, uh bug buggy i think that's his name bugging out yeah bugging out he was he wants to boycott which we will get to why he wants to boycott but he's trying to boycott sal's famous pizzeria and he keeps going to everyone in the neighborhood and he says that, you know sal did nothing for us like i love his pizza matt you know what fuck you i'm gonna go get a slice of pizza right now just because you brought it up and they laugh in his face and and I think that's like really interesting, especially for what happens at the end of the movie, because of just all these, all these setups and just what the thesis of the film is. And we, and you know, before all that happened, we find out the the little spark that you know that that the the ember that that kind of kickstarts the conflict, and it just starts. It starts as an ember, and then it f- builds into a you know a literal and metaphorical fire. Is just there's no Black or there's no there's no black people on the on the wall of fame in this Italian pizza pizzeria. They're all Italian Americans, and I think that is such an interesting little minute detail. That like I said, it's just an ember that will spark into a fire, and I think that it just goes to show like when you think about this in the the big picture of this film, I think that is such a interesting detail if that if that makes sense.
1: This is why, so yes, no, it makes perfect sense. There's a couple things I want to talk about, but this is why this movie is so brilliant because there is not a wasted second of footage in this movie. Everything matters. Everything is important. Everything leads to where we end up. Um, Because I think it's interesting that our quote-unquote, I guess, villains, if you will. They're they're not really, and we'll certainly talk more about that, but are the Italian-American pizza owners. And, you know, Italians, by and large, have also been considered, not now, not but a hundred years ago, were treated as dirty immigrants. Exactly. And so even the, quote-unquote, white people in this movie are still... Disenfranchised, marginalized people, um, you know, I think that the most brilliant thing that Lee does in this and, and this is one of the things that I got this time, where I feel like i 'm seeing it for the first time, is the villains in this movie are nowhere to be seen in this movie they 're not on Bedstoy. they are further into Manhattan on wall street there are there are bad guys in this movie but the bad guys are the people who have driven these marginalized communities into this location and this situation where it is a powder keg waiting to blow and i think it's brilliant on his part to not to resist the urge to make Sal – you know, because even – like, Pino's the closest thing. John is the closest thing we've got to a villain in this movie. He's the most overtly racist. He's the most overtly just douchey because because Vito, uh, Richard Edison's character, he's good friends with Mookie, and he even pushes back on Pino, to, like, telling him he trusts Mookie more than he trusts Pino. But even Pino, we get when he's having that conversation with Sal where he's saying, well, it's because my friends laugh at me. My friends laugh at me that we serve pizza, you know, to these N-words. And, you know, and Sal even says, well, then they're not friends. But it's like you get that even Pino, as much as he's a hateful, bigoted jackass – External pressures are making him that way. Like everything that happens in this movie happens. I feel like because of a society that has forced these people into this position. Um, And, and that is again, what makes it so profound and so poignant even today. uh, Because I think if you pay attention to what's going on now, there's no one bad guy. There is a system and a society that has created this situation. Um does that make sense?
0: Yeah, no, that makes uh that makes perfect sense. And yeah, it's just and, and just like because I guess when I was looking when I was especially watching it for this time I was trying to pick up on like all the subtle details of just like you know how how people are phrasing things what they're doing how people are responding to the things that they do um like the like the one segment of uh, it, uh how did I describe it it was essentially like every single uh, representation of like every race and that's featured in the film that they have the moment where they're just like spewing the insults to each other. Like this, these very prejudiced and racist, uh, like hate filled speech towards one another. And it's, and it's almost, and I, and I just love how Spike Lee f- frames it where, you know, he's got his dolly zoom and, and it's, and they're speaking directly to the audience and it's just kind of that, it kind of that break from reality where the, it's, it's breaking the fourth wall and, like you know, things like that, or or when uh, Radio Raheem versus the uh, the Mexicans with the radio contest, and and it's the that culture war, and you know Raheem wins, and you know all these little details is what I'm picking up on, and and I don't know if I'm reading too much into them or if I'm taking away exactly what Spike Lee wants me to uh, to have this, or even just the interactions with the few white people, like with the um with the biker it's just any he, and he runs over his shoes he's like you know fuck your gentrification you know what you like what you, who said you can live on my block by my house uh and all this it's like why it's like it was a free it's a free country i can live wherever i want it's like nah, get the fuck out of here and then you know i was born in brooklyn they all just like ah fuck off with that nonsense and i just think that all of these minute interactions that are like almost seemingly happening on a daily basis are super important to the grander narrative that we're being told.
1: No, 100%. There is uh you're not reading too much into it because I think it's impossible to read too much into this movie. This is there's there's some films And I'm not, then this doesn't matter to anything other than just to let people know, you know, I'm not a religious man. I'm not anything. I don't believe in higher powers or anything like that. But sometimes I feel like there's movies that you almost have to feel like there is a some type of higher power working through an artist because there is nothing in this movie that isn't important. There's not a single second of fucking film in this movie that isn't important to everything that is trying to be told. I mean, it is absolutely crazy how important everything in this movie is. And you mentioned a bunch of them. You mentioned, you know, uh, all of them, you know, and I love the, 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 you know, and just let me, give me a sec to shout out Ernest Dickerson, who went on to become a, a very talented director in his own right, but as the cinematographer, the way he frames and structures these shots, and like you said, the scene where they're all spewing the the racial epithets, and we're getting those dolly zooms and stuff, but then we also get uh, Mr. Senior Love Daddy Samuel yeah. Jackson coming in and being like, "You all need to hold the fuck on, yeah, cut, and, cool that and shit take out, take a second, you know," and uh, it's just. God, there's so much going on in this movie. This this episode might almost be boring to your listeners because I'm I'm just I'm so in love with this movie. Uh but I just think you're picking up on exactly what Spike Lee wanted you to pick up on. And I don't know, he was 25, 26 or something like that when he made this and it shows because it's got that energy of youth. It's I think only a young person could have made this movie. Um, but yeah, nothing, nothing is wasted in this movie.
0: Yeah. And, and that's where like you, you brought up with um, with Samuel L. Jackson's character when he just essentially says like, you know, like chill the fuck out. I, I love that. The, like how Spike Lee like crafted the story where, you know, we, 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 we go, we explore that area of just like, of love and hate and then we have the intermediary to say hold the fuck up like we need to like this is the reality check and and i think that that's that's super important especially at the end of the film like i like the closing credits of the film but um i i and like the last bit i want to because i feel like we're going to start to get into like the the ending uh portion the ending segment of the film but um I, I really do like, or not like. I just want to. It's important to note that I think after all of this, uh, the the boycott with uh, with uh, bugging out. He says like, no, we want to boycott this. And then you know, Radio Rahim earlier had an altercation with with his radio, and, and I think what the radio represents, like the music, the, it's the culture to him. Like he he went to battle with his culture, and that is his identity. And that he goes into this white Italian uh, pizzeria and they say like, turn that shit off or get the fuck out. And he takes that as a personal insult and someone that loves music and, and having, I've not, this hasn't happened a lot, but, and I'm not trying to equate my interactions with this, not at all. But I understand that idea of just like, when someone says that something is so part of your identity and it's like, well, just tune that shit out or like, get out like that. Like you can see in the face when Radio Raheem is like, this guy's my enemy. And then, you know, that, that conversation of, you know, that motherfucker, Sal, you know, he's, he's telling me to turn my music off. Who's he think he is trying to control me? He's like, well, let's go in and start some shit. And that I have as the, uh, the beginning of the end in that, you know, we're going to start into, I think, I feel like here we can kind of go in chronological order of what happens with this, the, the slow, and then steady escalation of what happens and so you know we we the end of the night Mookie just wants to get paid uh Sal's kind of having a moment oh I you know we had a great fucking day we're gonna like I'm gonna you know we're gonna change the business to Sal and Sons Mookie you always have a place here you know you, you know we don't get like you know we have different ideas sometimes but you know you are a hard worker and I respect you for that. And you know the community comes back in. Hey man, let us in for another slice of pizza. No, we're closed. Now nah, let him in, just one slice. And then they sit down, and you know these the three come in, including Smiley, who uh, we had like the autistic uh, guy who's who's been talking about MLK and Malcolm X throughout the whole film. They come in, and it just this slow escalation where both both parties are hostile almost immediately get out of my store no we want some brothers on there and it just starts escalating escalating sal pulls out a bat get out of my store uh turn that turn the music off breaks radio raheem like destroys radio raheem's identity and it erupts into this brawl even so that it, it and the brawl goes out into the street And, Mike, uh, before we get into the street, is there anything you want to add about what happens in the pizzeria itself of this conflict?
1: Well, I just think one of the things that – this is where I finally, like I said, I realized that the villains of this piece aren't even in the movie because any number of people could have backed down. Any number of people in this movie could have made different choices. But because they're all stuck in a powder keg, and this is, again, why I think it's so brilliant The Spike sets this on a, the hottest day of the year. Yep, exactly. On one street. Every It's a fucking pressure cooker. It's a goddamn instant pot. The entire movie is a pressure cooker just waiting to blow because none of these people, like, everybody in this movie is both a perpetrator and a victim. To a certain extent, uh because they're all just shit on by circumstances of life, you know Sal could have put if he had just put a picture of malcolm and and Martin on the wall, bugging out doesn't start this whole thing. Bugging out spends the entire movie not listening to Mookie telling him. Man, I need this job. You're fucking my shit up. Knock it off. Like, he's incapable. And so there's just this powder keg of pent-up anger and frustration. And it all blows. And it could have been avoided. But because Spike spends so much time laying the groundwork for all of this, we completely understand why it wasn't avoided. We can like, like when this happens, there is no, you know, nobody's holding the idiot ball here. Everybody is coming to their position, honestly. And that's why if somebody was like, Oh, I think the first hour is kind of dull. I would say then you just need to watch the fucking movie again,
0: because
1: that is what sets up how we end up here. All of these characters, all these pieces being put into place is so important to understanding it's the difference between a movie like do the right thing that's going to last forever and a movie as much as I love him and I think John Singleton is a genius and may he rest in peace but a movie like his higher learning which just came across as a preachy polemic um because he didn't do the groundwork that Spike does in this one To put all those chess pieces. I mean, this is as perfectly constructed, just even regardless, throw all the whatever, the themes and everything out. From a script standpoint, this is one of the most perfectly constructed movies I've ever seen in my life. Everything is put in its place so that when this shit happens, you go, yep. I get it. I understand why it's happening. hmm Exactly. And and like even with,
0: uh, I I forgot to mention like it it just escalates and Sal throws the first time the whole movie. You know he's he he's been uh pretty uh I guess stubborn and uh, aggressive in some of his interactions, but here he throws racial slurs and that pisses off you know the the loyal customers that said oh Sal never did anything wrong to us they're like wait what and like n word and 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 then that you know just and then that like further escalates destroys the destroys the uh the the boombox and again it's just everything just falls into place and again it just feels real it it doesn't feel artificial like this feels like like we're watching a documentary like I said earlier and and then when we get when when the fight erupts outside this is when i i said this to you all fair mike when i was watching this i had goosebumps down my entire body like i just felt this this chilling sensation that i that i very rarely have it's i don't want to say it was like an out of body experience uh and that's only happened maybe once or twice maybe three times as i've been watching films and this is included in there where it 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 just that that reality of fiction and reality is now blurred to the point where I can't tell what is like what's a movie and what's uh what's reality and and so you know the escalation just just keeps quadrupling and and now the ball is is rolling down the hill so quickly and it's just get like it's just snowballing and snowballing and snowballing. And that the community comes out, they're, they're interacting now, the police come and this is when we're getting, now I'm thinking George Floyd, you know, with, and that's everything that's going on now, making it topical with the killing of George Floyd uh, roughly like a week and a half ago now at the time of this recording and just seeing the police brutality come in and, you know, them picking up radio Raheem and even the cops are saying, Gary, that's enough. Stop. Like he can't breathe. Like again, he can't breathe. Stop Gary. It's enough. And then, no, it's not enough. And then, you know, he's picking up radio Raheem and it's, and he just slowly limply falls to the ground. And, and then they're beating him like, get, get up, get up, kid, get up. And then you just, and the acting, just everything about this scene is uh, tragically, amazing i I mean amazing isn't the right word but just how it's 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 like expertly done how this is crafted and even just the the images of them you know picking like throwing bugging out into a cop car them picking up radio rahim and just throwing him into the back of the cop car it is his lifeless corpse his eyes just staring emptily at out into the ether as he's as he's now laying there dead and just that silence when the police take away and now it's like, okay, what's going to happen now? And so Mike, what did, what, what about, uh, what do you have to say about the whole, this, this next segment of uh, everything with radio, the, the killing of radio Raheem?
1: Well, I mean, it, you know, I mean the fact that he died because of a chokehold obviously also brings to mind Eric Garner, but it also just shows again how timeless these things you know we're literally dealing with nationwide riots and or protests right now and if people think these came out of nowhere then you're not paying fucking attention because and this is almost why I think do the right thing you know, the metaphor of do the right thing, taking place on one street on one day, being a powder keg can be expanded to this nation for the last 30 years. Um, We've been a powder keg waiting to blow. Because if we weren't, there's no way Spike Lee could have made these things so relevant to us. You know, it's they choke out radio rahim there's the officers that say you're doing too much but at the end of the day um when it happens the blue shield takes you know because we get miguel sandoval who's a great actor he plays a lot of bad guys in movies and stuff he's pretty terrific and and the white cop is actually danny aiello who plays sal that's his son rick but you get Miguel Sandoval saying, it's too much, stop it, let him go. He says he can't breathe. But at the end of the day, when Raheem is dead, Miguel Sandoval is the first one to say, get him into the car, get him the fuck out of here. Because one of the things we're dealing with right now is the quote-unquote thin blue line uh, coming before anything else. Um, you know, what people? one of the things people are protesting is, cops will close ranks and this movie shows it they close ranks they get the fuck out of there other cops have to deal with what's left and uh, that's the fuse that lights the powder keg Um, I mean I don't know how you watch this and not just be unbelievably moved if you do you know and Mike I don't want to talk down to your listeners I'm a guest on your podcast (laughs) But if you watch this movie and aren't unbelievably moved and don't see how it's relevant to today, um, please don't follow me off this podcast because I don't <laughs> want you to follow me. And, you know, Mike, you and I have known each other for a year now, and I, I don't think I'm speaking out of line to say that you would probably feel the same way.
0: Um no, I'm, I'm in a hundred percent agreeance with you. Like, yeah, th- this is like, if you're that dense, like, yeah, don't, I, I've stopped listening, I guess. I don't know. Like, I, I don't understand how you, how someone could not understand and, and, and feel especially with what's going on now. Like, I, I don't understand if, if anyone watched this and was just like, meh, then I think you should just got to stop listening to this episode and you know, yeah. I, don't, I don't need your patronage. But uh, that's, yeah. that's a strong statement. But, you know, I don't care. It, <laughs> I will
1: say this now. If you are a racist, just fuck right off. Don't follow me. Don't follow Mike. Uh, we didn't bring it up, but I am a co-host of the Dana Buckler Show. Don't follow the Dana Buckler Show. We don't want you. We don't want you. We don't need you. We're not interested in you. Um, fuck off. Yeah, exactly. And, And, and like
0: – and, and I and I and I think this again, like going back to like the script of this, uh, regardless of how Spike Lee, what how what, what his agenda when he like wrote these words, wrote these actions, regardless of what he thinks, I I think it's really interesting, in like how you know the characters interact. I think that when the mayor takes over or dumb mayor, when he takes over and says, you know, don't don't do anything that you're gonna regret for the rest of your lives. You know, Sal and his boys had mm-hmm. nothing to do with what the police did. And, and then, you know, Mookie is standing with his community and, and, then, and then that anger takes over the anger that stems from oppression and racial injustice. And that's when Mookie, uh, he, he takes, he, he, he just walks over to a garbage can, you know, takes it out, comes over and, th- and breaks the, the first window. As much as Sal through the first punch to that incited all of this violence, Mookie is the first one? Is he throws the, he casts the first stone into uh, the shop and and again like these images that we're getting from of of uh, the looting and the destruction and just the this cathartic release of anger that and this pent up anger is 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 uh, like these image again it looks like it almost looks like we're watching a documentary of what's been going on in uh, since i I'm, I'm in the Philly area um, and Brian's in Philly he's been sending me pictures of just of looted stores. You know, you see it on the news, you see it in, uh, in LA and, uh, in Minnesota and, and you see it in all these major cities that just diluting and, and, and just this, the the embodiment of anger uh, and of what that looks like. And, and I used to think, I mentioned earlier with the, uh, the intro to soci class. And I said that that question should be, did, uh, did Mookie do the right thing? I don't really know if that is, I think that that can get, that's like a component of the, uh, of the question. But I, I I think it's, it's way more complex than that now, especially, and and I just kind of came to that after watching it this time. I, I I do think that, that 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 is an interesting debate for maybe an intro to so's class, then just kind of get, you know, 18 year olds to start thinking about this. But Uh, I think that's just a component of a much larger question that I don't, I I don't know even how to articulate and form the question.
1: Yeah. And I mean, we're realistically, again, two relatively middle-class white guys, Uh, we're probably not the ones to frame that question, but I, I like a lot of what you said there because I think it is, you know, For those who haven't heard me before, I live in Salt Lake City. We were one of the first cities to have a riot last week. It's Salt Lake City. Like we're the home of Mormons. We don't riot about anything. We get, I guess, we get mad that people can drink on Sundays. But like, so that tells you that this is a this is not a. I'm gonna just cheesily quote Hamilton, and I apologize, but this is not a moment. It's a movement. Uh, because if it's happening in Salt Lake City, Utah, it's, it's happening everywhere. Um, and what I think with this, because, you know, everybody's always like, oh, riots are bad, looters are bad. And I agree. I think if you look at the news and you look at what's going on, there's a lot of disingenuous bad actors happening here. But you mentioned the question of, did Mookie do the right thing? And, and I, we talked off air. I said, for the first time, I finally settled on, I, I feel like I saw something that I had never seen before. And I can 100% say that I think Mookie did the right thing. And let me explain why. Radio Rahim gets killed. The cops take him off. We've got a crowd here. We've got Sal and Pino and Vito, who at this point are the only three white people in this scenario. And we've got a very pissed off crowd at them. And they are saying a lot of very threatening things to them. And Mookie takes it upon himself to empty out the trash can, throw it through the window. And I... I could be wrong on this. I'm not, I'm a middle-class white guy. My read on it this time was Mookie was saving their lives because what he did was channel the anger of the crowd into property rather than into people. By throwing the garbage can through the window, he effectively says, you're mad. You're pissed off? Fuck up this pizza place. Do it. But it gives Sal and his boys a chance to escape. And we even get the scene with Demer, Ozzy Davis, the brilliant, wonderful Ozzie Davis, putting them behind the locked gate and basically saying, you're safe, stay here. And so I really do feel like ultimately there's a thesis here of people are going to be angry people are going to be mad and it's always going to be better to lose property than somebody's life because i feel like we get that and i don't want to jump too far ahead but I feel like we get that at the end when Sal and Mookie are talking and Sal says, you destroyed my shop and, or my pizza place. And and Mookie says, "Motherfuck that radio. Raheem is dead. I feel like this is the first time where, and, and I, we talked about this a little bit. When I first saw this when I was 13. And when I first saw it, I was like, Oh, Mookie, what are you doing? We all could have been, but now I feel like, Oh, no, Mookie made the best possible decision he could have at the time. Um, I don't know that anybody else is going to agree with me on that, but that was what I took from it this time. I, uh, I
0: have to say that is an awesome read on it. And it gives me a new appreciation for the scene because uh, I guess I don't want to say like I was uh, in the middle because i i was more like again like this is the boiling point like this is like that, that cathartic release of of uh, emotion that i that you know someone like like the two of us we don't know what it's like to live under you know the uh the oppressive nature of of um of racism you know the people that try and defend that with like reverse racism is bullshit and it's and it's completely taking away from the um the the, the 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 plights that you know people like this are experiencing on a daily basis when people when they're going around with the um I don't want to get too political but when when people are uh, they're they're they, they, with the with the black lives matter versus all lives matter people that say well all lives matter completely don't understand the uh, what they're trying to get at with black lives matter. Uh, like, and, uh, and that's what I'll say that. Cause I don't want to like, I, I'm afraid of like putting my foot up my, up my own mouth. And like, it just keeps going down. But I, I just feel like it's, it's really easy for, uh, for for like people in uh in our situate in our like uh, situations and middle class upper class to say, oh well those people are just animals they're looting they they're just like taking advantage of a situation which I mean there are people that fit that 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 uh th- that that is their initiative but you're also those people are also misunderstanding and they don't understand the whole the, just living in in a world where it's you know that, like the whole like these people don't have any privilege you know like th- this idea of white privilege that these people don't have anything like that you know how they interact on a day-to-day basis just because of their skin like that is that exists and if people in uh upper middle class middle like e- just even that aren't in these situations if they just want to turn a blind eye and say oh racism doesn't exist because i don't see it on a daily basis they need to see this movie because i think that mike what you said i think is a, I, I completely agree with you, Mike. I, I, and, and I, and I thank you for sharing that input because now that I think uh, I feel a lot more, uh, I I feel like I'm understanding a lot of what's going on today because of what you just said. So I want to thank you, Mike. I, I, I think there's going to be more than quite a few people that agree with you because I'm one of them.
1: I I appreciate that. I mean, these have been tough times for everybody and and you know like I said when we started I had real hesitations about doing this but I I'm the walking embodiment of white privilege like I'm literally if you look up white privilege in a dictionary you're gonna see a picture of me and I'm just trying man I'm trying to understand because I don't want to just be like oh it's shitty to like Burst into shops and then I see this movie and I'm like, yeah, you know what? Property can be replaced. Buildings can be replaced. We have insurance. You know, I mean Mookie even says that to Sal, right? You're gonna get your money back from the insurance. And Sal gets mad because he's like, that's not what it's about. But at the end of the day, Sal's still alive because Mookie directs the riot to his building. Um and that's what we're seeing now. We're seeing, again, there are plenty. And, and if you're not willing to acknowledge that there are disingenuous bad actors out here, you know, I had a friend that was in the riot here in Salt Lake City, and he 100% said there were disingenuous people egging it on. Um, but that's not to say that just because somebody smashes a window or breaks into a building they're there you know anger has to be channeled in some way and i will never champion property over people um and that's why i think this movie is so profound and so brilliant it it hit me this time in a way that it's never hit me before and maybe that's on me maybe it should have hit me that way beforehand but um you know, like we're two white guys and we're very clearly trying to do the right. I mean, yeah, that sounds really cheesy, but we're clearly trying to do the right thing here.
0: And yeah, exactly. And, and, and I think one of the most poignant images of this whole film is after, you know, the fire has been put out and Smiley walks back into the burned down pizzeria, he puts up a photo of MLK and Malcolm X and up on the wall. Cause the whole film he's trying to uh, like, uh, pan offer like get people to buy his the, the photos that he's had and i just think that that's such an interesting image to to end on with like the end of the riots and then we get our next moment like what you mentioned you know it's it's not about the money it's like well radio Heem's dead and you're gonna make off just fine and, and and i and i really do like how like the closing monologue from samuel jackson the specific line, it's like they say it's going to be even hotter today, and I'm like, oh, are, are we talking about like the aftermath of this event? And even and I, and I definitely think that Spike Lee has that foresight and like knowing like this will not be over for a long, long time. And hopefully, and I, and I think that you know he made this film as sort of a that a conversation piece of maybe he didn't even think thirty two years later but you know this would be a piece to start that conversation and they say it's going to be even hotter and shit man 32 years later i can damn well say that it's even hotter today than let's just say in this in the world that this uh that this film takes place and 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 this is what we need we need this social change we need people to have these conversations and i i really do love what the like the ending uh the the film uh, the the uh, the quotes that we end this film on uh i think spike lee like more of those those images that i remember uh this very much reminds me he did it again in uh black klansman when he ends with charlottesville and with all of the the kkk rallies uh with uh, uh peaceful protesters getting run over by cars and the end of Black Klansman, he ends it like the last image you see is an upside down American flag signifying, you know, SOS, we need help. And I was like, fuck, that is very, very poignant to be ending on that. And then you go back to do the right thing. And I just want to read these quotes. The first one is by MLK, uh violence as a way of achieving racial justice is both impractical and immoral. It is impractical because it is a descending spiral, ending in destruction for all. The old ball of an eye for an eye leaves everybody blind. It is immoral because it seeks to humiliate the opponent rather than win his understanding. It seeks to annihilate rather than to convert. Violence is immoral because it thrives on hatred rather than love, destroys community and makes brotherhood impossible. It leaves society in monologue rather than dialogue. Violence ends by... And violence ends by defeating itself. It creates bitterness in the survivors and brutality in the destroyers. And so that was MLK. And then immediately after, we end with Malcolm X. I think there are plenty of good people in America, but there are also plenty of bad people in America. And the bad ones are the ones who seem to have all the power and be in these positions to block things that you and I need because this is a situation, you and I have to preserve the right to do what is necessary to bring an end to that situation. And it doesn't mean that I advocate violence, but at the same time, I am not against using violence in self-defense. I don't even call it violence when it's self-defense. I call it intelligence. And I'm like, Holy shit, man, what a perfect way to end this film. You know, we have the, and especially just starting a dialogue, you know, the last we, the whole film, it's that constant debate of you know passivism versus uh i guess activism or uh more physical activism if, you, if that's how you want to label it uh this kind of this ying and yang that mlk and malcolm x had during their uh their activism uh, uh or when they were most active in the civil rights movement and i think ending the film with uh, at least ending the riot with their two faces, you know, smiling, shaking hands, as well as ending the film with these two quotes is is nothing short of brilliant, I think, and it's genius. And I think that, again, this is why people need to see this movie because this film does not advocate one over the other. If anything, it is trying to show both sides of the argument. And I think that that is, regardless of where Spike Lee falls on the issue... I t- appreciate that he tries to have both sides equally encapsulated here.
1: Yeah, I I mean thank you for reading those quotes. Um I and don't feel like you need to edit this out. I'm struggling a little bit here because just talking about this has gotten me so emotionally raw. But that is the power of this movie that is what this movie can do um because yeah spike recognizes there's no easy solution to any of this there's no simple answer uh you know we get that a little bit in the the uh the three old guys who want to turn it on the Koreans, the one guy who came over from Africa. And he's like, well, they came on a boat. They're just fresh off the boat. And the other two are like, you're just fresh off the boat. And, like, the, the message it, I feel like of this movie is marginalized is marginalized. And we are not fighting the right enemy. And I think that's what those two quotes from from MLK and Malcolm are saying is we may not always agree on the strategies, but we need to agree on the target. And the target is there are people who are literally getting rich right now. We are in the worst time period of anybody who was born after 1950. We are in the worst time period of any of their lives right now. And there are people who are literally getting rich right now. And I think those quotes from MLK and Malcolm and the thesis of this movie is fight the right enemy. Mookie, Sal, uh, the Korean shop owners, the, the, you know, Robin Harris and, and, the, and Frankie Faison, the, the three old guys on the street. None of them are your enemy. The enemy is the person who's putting you all in that position. And I've long said this, the the single greatest thing that the, and I'm just going to say Republican party. I I'm sure you have listeners who are Republicans. I, I, if you're listening to this episode, I'm not talking to you. Uh, <laughs> the greatest thing the Republican party ever did was convincing marginalized people that the reason for their lot in life is other marginalized people not the jeff Bezoses and the bill gates and those people and the donald trump's of the world and that's what i think is so profound about this movie because again the villain never even shows up in the fucking movie The villain is the person who or the people who have turned this street, this block, this neighborhood into the powder keg that it is. Um, And that's what we're seeing right now. We are finally starting to figure out who the actual bad guys are and not taking their shit anymore. Um, And I'm just sad that it took us 32 years to figure that out uh, because Spike Lee was telling us that in 1989 and we just didn't want to listen.
0: Yeah, exactly. And that, 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 uh, I guess that can pretty much wraps up our, our, like our thoughts on this film. And I, I don't really want to, uh, end with, uh, I think it's, it's very clear. We both recommend this film shit. We even started saying like, if this, if, we know that this, this episode would be successful if even one person just said, We're gonna, I'm going to check that out, and then started the conversation. So it's, we both obviously highly recommend this film, but I, I want to forego the whole uh, numerical rating system of this film. I don't really think that's appropriate right now, and that's not the point of this episode. Uh, it's more, the, the point of this episode was to have that dialogue, and to hopefully spark more dialogue and, and through the, just the powerful natures of film, and that they can both serve as a form of escapism, but do the right thing isn't exactly uh, something to escape from reality. If anything, it just is a constant reminder of, of what, what you're living in. And so, as a, as, not as an escape, but as a form of, you know, this is what we're gonna spark discussion with, you know, it's using art. To spark that uh, that discussion and hopefully some change, and I think that's you know this is another reason of you know the, the why we're movie buffs the the power of film and art. So uh, yeah, I I want to forego that the numerical rating system of this. We both very clearly recommend this film, but yeah, I I really hope that those listening this may have changed your perspective even a little bit about this film, about uh, things going on in 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 a uh, just reality at the time of this recording and even in you know uh in the future anyone listening to this however long into the future hopefully that this this can help change some perspectives or even just open your mind to you know the plights of of just racism and oppression and that, you know, we need to change something. So uh, yeah, Mike, thanks again for coming on the show and, and just being re- really open about this and, and, and helping me uh, change my perspective in doing so.
1: Thanks, man. No, I appreciate it. Um, I gotta be honest with you. I've had some tears in my eyes. and been choked up. Yeah, listeners may like hear it. Um, but no, thank you for giving me the chance to talk about this movie and and kind of process everything because it's a tough time and this is you said it this is why we're movie fans I mean this movie is why we're movie fans Um, because it helps us process and deal with things that we can't deal with just by reading the news you know we can read the news right now and most of us just get overwhelmed and shut off. But Spike Lee is so goddamn good at what he does. And especially here where he's never been better, it helps us process. So again, we're two white guys. A lot of people, a lot of people of color, a lot of women of color, a lot of marginalized people have been far more articulate about this movie than we ever will be. But... I will just say this: I hope this episode stands as as an example of, man, we're fucking trying, we're we're trying, and uh, this is a great movie. So thanks, Mike, for giving me the chance to talk about
0: this. Oh, of course, of course. And um, Mike, is there anywhere uh, we, they can uh, the listeners can find you on um, on uh, like any social media? I know you're the co-host of the Dana Buckler Show, yeah, and they so can you-
1: find you there. So you can find me on the uh, – you can follow us uh, at the Dana Buckler Show or at Dana Buckler Show on Twitter. Um, you can follow Dana personally at Dana Buckler on Twitter. He's also set up a link tree. I can't keep track of all his social media. <laughs> I keep thinking I should. I'm a bad co-host. But he does – if you go to – at dana buckler show on twitter he's got a link tree set up so you can find all his other things if you want to follow me personally the two best places to find me are i'm at hibachi justice on twitter and i'm also at hibachi justice on letterbox those are pretty much the only two social media uh type places i participate in but you can follow me there um I've been pretty vocal about what's going on there as much as I can. Um, And I also am a, a big champion of action Twitter. I champion a lot of action movies because action Twitter is the best escape for us. So if you want lots of Scott Adkins tweets, follow me on Twitter.
0: Yeah, those Scott Ackin tweets, I, I do love them. But uh, but yeah, and I'll and I'll link all these down in the show notes as well. But yeah, once again, Mike, thanks again for coming on. It was a pleasure, absolute pleasure. It's always great talking moves with you, but especially this this felt special.
1: This was uh, this was special, Mike. Thank you, I appreciate it.
0: Of course. And so with that, guys, that concludes this episode of Amateur All Tours. Um, as always, you can follow us on Twitter at All Tours Pod. You can email us with any questions, comments, or concerns at the Amateur All Tours Podcast at gmail And uh, as always, we'll see you next time. Everybody stay safe and see you then.